Hello, 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 and welcome back to the Premier Chels, your source for all things Premier League, but starting with Chelsea first. Coming to you on your speakers and headsets, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. I'm Jackie from Houston, and I have my friend Rahul from Connecticut. Are you excited for Thanksgiving week coming up? I am. It's going to be a short work week, uh, but yeah, Chelsea absolutely. is yeah. Chelsea has some big games coming, so I'm thankful for that. <laughs> Look, before we jump into all that, I see your background has changed for those looking at us on YouTube. A hundred goals for who? A hundred goals for Super Friend Kirby. Wow, that is an achievement to be noted. Definitely, and it, I mean, we did a whole episode on on the women's team last time around. Um, we didn't really touch on Fran Kirby, but uh, I guess she has has worked her way into our episode this time around, and that's what we'll open with. So. 100 goals for the club. Uh, she becomes the first women's player to score 100 goals for Chelsea uh, in the entire history of Chelsea. So that in itself is quite an achievement. Uh, she then adds to that by becoming, becoming the 11th highest goal scorer for the club. So she's pushing pushing into the top 10 and, and getting pretty close to some of the likes of Didier Drogba, Frank Lampard, Bobby Tamling. Um, so keep an eye out for her for the next few years. Yeah, I think that stat in itself is pretty amazing because we talked about in the last episode, I think the women's team was formed in the 92-93 year, if I'm not mistaken. So for 100 goals and now 11th on the all-time goal scorers for both men and women shows that she's got some names that she's caught up to and actually surpassed at this point. So very, very happy for her. And what did you say? How many appearances did she do this in? So she's made 145 appearances, 100 goals, like we just said, but also 52 uh, assists. Wow, that's some incredible numbers there. Definitely. that's If you combine the goals and assists, that's 152 goal contributions, like we'd like to say around here. That's right. pretty much more than one a game in, in her, yeah. her time at the club. And uh, we've spoken about the um, brief injury or brief heart condition that she had suffered uh, so she missed a good six, seven months out of that. So if, if that hadn't happened, we would have already been talking about this number a few months ago. <laughs> yeah, and you said about last episode, we did a specials on the women's. We chose to actually leave her out because I think week in, week out, we talk about Fran Kirby this, Fran Kirby that, Fran Kirby got a hat trick, she assisted. And so it's one of those where we decided to shine some light on some other players. But like you said, she needs to kind of finagle her way into the conversation, <laughs> which is not a bad thing. I think it's an exciting thing. And Raul, she's still only 28 years old, right? Yeah, just just 28. Uh, so definitely got another four, maybe five seasons uh, at, at Chelsea at the highest level. Uh, and if you take maybe an average of 20 goals, maybe a little bit more per season, that's another, or five seasons, another 100 goals easily. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's coming up with some big names over there. Maybe she'll push into the top five. I, I'm thinking closer to that that top two position, but um, <laughs> if she stays injury free, I, I definitely think she'll get there. Uh, but touching on on just the team overall, they did beat Birmingham City today five nil. Uh, Sam Kerr getting a hat trick, so she's she's working her way into our conversation here too. Um, and she caps off a week where she signs a new deal, scores against Servette in the Champions League, and now scores a hat trick uh, to kind of round off before they head out to international break. Yeah, I mean, nothing more to be said there. I think it's almost business as usual with them. They continue to score goals. They continue to win games. And hopefully they continue down this path. Because if you haven't listened to our last episode, go tune in. Because we talked about what we expect from the women's team. Maybe Champions League, maybe FA Cups. And so 
that looks like we're on the path towards good success with them. Absolutely. And before we uh, move on, I just have a, a fun story to share about Fran Kirby. Um, she's, she's actually mentioned it herself, but uh, for our listeners that may have missed it. Uh, so her mom used to take her to the doctors when she was younger. The doctor would, you know, kind of just test out her reflexes and stuff, throw a tennis ball at her. And instead of catching it, she says she used to kick it back to him. So she's always had had that that itch or, or the knack for being a good football player. And, and we're seeing it now. So once again, congratulations to her. And long may it continue for our club and for her uh, at, at the highest level. Congratulations, indeed. All right, Rahul, let's jump into the men's side of the game. And we were playing Leicester away. Is that correct? We were. And I was pretty nervous. I think you were too. You, our predictions for, for the, the score kind of set at you. I think I'd said 1-0. I had said 2-1. But Chelsea in Chelsea fashion came out and stormed to a 3-0 <laughs> win. Yeah, Leicester on their day can be a tough side. We've seen that last season. We had a couple of issues to get past them. But... I went for a conservative result. I mean, I told you if I got one nail, I'd be very, very happy. But I got three nail and I was ecstatic and over the moon. So why don't we start with the starting lineup here and then we can kind of jump into the rest of the game. Yeah, so Mendy in goal, no-brainer. Uh, whenever he's fit, he plays. Chalaba came in. We thought Espelicueta would play, but Chalaba, again, is is working his way into Tuchel's plans and becoming a trusted player. Uh, Tiago Silva played again kind of a surprise based on the international break and coming back late but he plays Rudiger we knew fit was always going to be playing uh, Reese James Ben Chilwell on the wings and then Angolo Conte Jorginho in midfield Mason Mott Hudson Adoy and Havertz up top yeah so not too far from what we predicted would come out there I think maybe Tiago Silva was one that was an interesting selection given all the travel his age I actually left him out of my fantasy team and he did very well. So I was hoping for the additional points, but uh, you can tell that when this man is fit, he's world-class. And so Tuchel's going to put his faith in him and have him start. But Chaloba, big props to him. I know you could have maybe, you know, slotted Reese James in the right center back position. You could have maybe called on Aspilicueta. He's fit and could have done it, but props to him to keep pushing and saying, I trained well, I'm not going off in international duty. Boss, pick me. And, and I'm happy to see him continuing in that form. I am too. And he deserves it. He's shown every time he's played this season, why he's being picked. And um, he has a good connection with Silva, Rudiger, but also Reese James on, on that right side. And um, and he has that character in him where he, he, he he's only been in the Premier League for three, four months now. But you watch him and when he bodies people and gets into confrontations mm-hmm. with, with other opposition players, we just feel like he's a veteran who's been doing this for, for years. I think that's a good observation there because I noticed the same thing. When he comes on, he slots in effortlessly, knows what Tuchel's expecting from him. But exactly what you said, understands the nature of the Premier League, understands the physicality of the game, and doesn't seem to be phased by any of it. So if he continues in this form and fashion, I think he could be a stable centre-back or right centre-back, whatever you want to call it, for for years to come for Chelsea. And that alone is very, very exciting. But jumping right into the game, we've already touched on this. We were a little bit nervous a little bit conservative a little bit worried I don't want to say worried but the truth is sometimes that you are worried about playing Leicester but we start like a house on fire don't we we did and I, I I'm trying to think if that was more down to Leicester or us just being fired up ready to come back ready to prove that the Burnley draw was just a a, a blip in that moment and we're mm-hmm. still going to continue rolling on uh, and it was good to see because you know, like I had said before, 
in the last episode where we were previewing this game, international break, you come back first game away from home, the first game of the weekend in itself tends to be a little bit slow, rusty in that, you know, players are still getting back into it. But we seem to be like we just picked up where we had left off in the sense that we were pushing against Burnley where we didn't get the winner. We come here and we say we're going to attack, get out on the front foot. And then that's what we did. Yeah, I think that's another great analysis from you there. And the fact that we weren't bad against Burnley. I think we've covered that in depth anyway. It's one of those things where we just didn't put the ball in the net quick enough. Or when we did, we didn't follow through. And in this game, we looked alive. We looked hungry. We looked energetic from the first minute. I mean, Chelsea said they want to score as quickly as possible and then not let off the gas. And started, I think, one of the first things I can remember was Ben Chilwell hitting the the (laughs) crossbar within minutes of the game going off. And you could say, like... You need to score that, and that's kind of that's kind of the stress or the pressure from the Burnley game. But it didn't it didn't affect Chelsea at all. We continue to pile on pressure, pile on pressure. And I'm wondering, poor Leicester, how they're going to get out of this. But at the same time, I'm like, yeah, just kill Leicester off. We need this one to to feel good about ourselves. And it comes in the form of Antonio Rudiger, doesn't it? It does. He's he he, he loves scoring against Leicester. Um, <laughs> he did it, I think, not last season, but the season before under Lampard. He did it last season at home against Leicester, and now he's done it again. And it seems like um, he he's picked them as one of his targets to get goals against. I don't know. Maybe Daniel Amate pissed him off last <laughs> season, so he's just going to continue rubbing salt in the wound. No, but lovely header. He goes towards the ball, attacks it very aggressively, and buries that into the net. So from there, it's all Chelsea more and more. Rahul, I think there's not much more we can dive into the next goal, but. I'll give you the overall stats and maybe you can walk us through the next goal that happened there. Chelsea had 16 shots overall to Leicester's four with seven of them being on target to Leicester's three. So you can tell they were very, very hungry and we kept 62% of the ball versus Leicester's 68. We strung together 607 passes versus Leicester's 374. So a lot of that tells you we were ready, we were aggressive, we were hungry. And so talk us through the N'Golo Kante moment because he's not got a goal in a little bit recently. He hasn't, but he also likes to score against Leicester. But I think back to, I think, Antonio Conte's second season, was it? And he scored against Leicester. Uh, and this goal, man, he in the in, in the post-match, he spoke about it. He said, I knew Reese was going to beat his man. And so I was available for him. I made that run. And, and he picks it up pretty much right around the halfway line and drives on and drives on and drives on and drives on. And you're like, okay, what's going on here? And then he applies a finish, which is just like, is this Angolo Conte? <laughs> uh, but that's this, the surprise element, I guess, of Conte, where he sometimes does fancy a shot, and most often it goes into the net because, like, we were surprised. I think the opposition was surprised because you don't expect him to shoot. You think, okay, he's going to lay it off or he's going to drive through to the, to the box, attract someone, and then give it to someone else. But he finds the net and makes it 2-0. And honestly, when that second goal went in, I I almost were like okay, this this is what we needed, a sigh of relief, because yes, we got one, but that always leaves the door open for the opposition. But the second in the first half almost says to the opposition, now we are Chelsea, we can defend this. You come on to us and we always will have the opportunity to go in and score more goals. Uh, and so once the second goal goes in, you're almost looking at Leicester and thinking, do they have it in them to come back and Based on this season alone, and we know what we've done, Leicester, what Leicester have done in the last few seasons, this season alone, Leicester don't seem to be the same team that they were. Yeah, I think they don't seem to be the same team. 
probably since the season kicked off. They had a couple of good results here and there, but they've struggled overall to really come up to the dizzy heights that they did last season. Now, look, I've said my piece here, and they'll go out next week and go on a five-game unbeaten run, just like whenever we criticize anybody on this podcast, they go have a brilliant run. But they did have a couple of chances overall. I mean, they, we were not perfect at the back, but good enough to keep them away, keep them at bay. But I'm going back to the N'Golo Kante, N'Golo Kante moment, and I'm thinking, you look at that position he picked up the ball in, and he kept driving and kept driving and kept driving. You asked a question at the beginning of the match. Was it Chelsea that were brilliant or was it Leicester that were poor? I think it was a little bit of both because they did not stop him. He just kept driving, driving. Nobody put a tackle in. Nobody blocked him. The midfield was kind of non-existent at that point. And Kante kind of, he kind of looked up, looked around and said, no one's stopping me. Let me just kind of swing my foot at it. And he's not the best, you know, shooting from distance, but he said, no one's stopping me. Let me give it a shot. And it, it flies in. So it's a bit of both coming back to Leicester and Chelsea, where Chelsea were very, very good, but Leicester at the same time didn't seem engaged on the day. Maybe that, that's the right term. And they were also missing Yuri Tillemans. And I think he's a big part of that midfield as well. No, Wilfred Ndidi is ex- excellent, but I think he needs his friend next to him there to help kind of guide that midfield and kind of usher them out. So again, we go in overall in that first half, very, very in control, go into the second half and, I'm excited. It was a very early morning kickoff for us. And so uh, at this point, I can kind of rest my eyelids a little bit because <laughs> we're 2 nil up, right? Yeah, yeah. And I, I think that word you used about Leicester engaged is, is spot on because they didn't seem to be the, the Leicester that we've seen, which are full on, ready to to pounce on any mistake and, and defend for the large portions of games. That was all missing. And, and we took advantage of it, which... In our case, we've complained about in the last few games or, or games where we haven't won, where we said we should have gotten a second, we should have gotten a third, and, and we did that in this game. And that first half, like you said, I think might have been the best performance as well as you know output in terms of goals we've seen this season under Tuchel, which is good to say because this is the start of a difficult period for us. And if that's how we're going to be playing for the next few weeks, I think we've set ourselves up pretty well. But the second half, yeah... It's you expect Leicester to come out, put in some more effort or, or engage a little bit better. Uh, and they do that, but with Mendy in goal and, and with, with the likes of Thiago Silva, like we mentioned, Rudiger, Chaloba, Conte, you always expect Chelsea to be able to to ride that pressure and, and go on to the other end and score, uh, which comes uh, in, in from Christian Pulisic towards the end of that second half. And we debated that in the last episode about, or the previous to last episode about how that starting lineup would would go. And we said a fully fit Christian Pulisic on his day is brilliant. And he was making those runs, finding space and credit to him to keep pushing and trying to get that goal. But Tuchel made some clever substitutions. Yes, one was was because we did have a little bit of an injury with Jorginho. Now we're hearing a little bit more about it. It might not be as as bad as it first sounded like it was going to be. So Knock on wood, fingers crossed, that one's okay. But he brings on RLC, who, Rahul, I must say, whenever that young man comes on, he just seems confident. He seems like he's been doing this for 100 years, always good in the ball. He, he takes off Kai Havertz, who he's not playing his traditional number uh, number nine position. He, that's not his favorite position, brings on Pulisic. And then Mason Mount, maybe we'll talk about him here in a minute, but he takes off Mason Mount and brings on Hakeem Ziyech, who needs a few minutes. And so I think Tuchel is making smart substitutions as well to get some players in there just to give them minutes. And again, it worked. They go and get the goal. So good for them. Absolutely. And you mentioned Loftus-Cheek. I think 
uh, here's a man that's proving every time that he plays that he deserves to to be starting. Now, the issue he's running into is he's got Conte and Jorginho ahead of him and Kovacic when he comes back. But that's not to say that Loftus-Cheek isn't good enough. I just think Tuchel knows what he gets out of Jorginho and Conte. Right. Whereas with Loftus-Cheek, he's only been with him for maybe four or five months now, and, and he trusts him. But I think to be a starter, he's going to have to prove a little bit more and he doesn't i'm not saying he doesn't i'm just saying he needs to do a little bit more to maybe push one of them out of the team which is a big task in itself uh and then you mentioned sorry go ahead no i'm going to say with with regards to the competition he has it's not easy to knock those guys off the mantle right you're talking about Jorginho, kovacic and kante those three have been at the club for three four seasons respectively depending on when they signed they're well-established, they're all internationals, they've all won major trophies. And so, look, is RLC good enough to compete with them? 100% right. yes, but you're, there's, you're not fighting against some amateurs here, you're fighting against some really high-quality midfielders. So he's got to continue to do what he's doing. And look, eventually he's going to keep pushing a name for himself out there. And if not, he's going to start saying, boss, look, Conte's turning 31, Jorginho's turning 30. I'm not telling you that I need to start every <laughs> game, but maybe 50%. And you know, Tuchel may start to listen. So as long as he does what he's doing, Rahul, I think it's an exciting thing. And he stays fit. I think that's the biggest thing. He's got to stay fit as well. Yeah. And and when you look at who else is in competition with him, and yes, Kovacic is injured, so you kind of have to put him aside for now. But we have another international called Saul. And he's come in. He's obviously new to the league and, and new to the team, new to Tuchel, new to, to his teammates. But RLC is keeping him not only out of the starting 11 or or the bench, but almost at a point where we're saying maybe we send him back to Atletico Madrid in January. And that's a testament to Loftus-Cheek. So, yes, he's trying to knock off Ballon d'Or-nominated midfielders in the starting 11, but he's keeping a very good other midfielder off of the 18 in, in the match day squad. So that's credit to him. And then you mentioned Ziyech and Pulisic, and I think those two – you said smart substitutions, and I agree with you. Those two at that point of the game were, were absolutely the right substitutions because Pulisic can, can hold on to the ball, can dribble, can attract players. And then you have Ziyech who can easily just play a ball in behind a defense that's trying to push up, and you unleash the likes of Hudson-Odoi and Pulisic and, and the Reese James and Ben Chilwell on the other side. So uh, definitely good substitutions, and those two actually connect Ziyech and Pulisic to give us our third goal. They actually do. But, you know, it's one of those things where I think it's almost expected, right? From Pulisic, like I said, when he's fit, I know what he brings to the team. And from Hakim Ziyech, that's what we want to see on a week-in, week-out basis from him is do the basics, find those key passes that we saw you do with Ajax. And that's going to help us, especially when we're not having strikers, right, Rahul? Because you've got Pulisic, you've got Mount, you've got Havertz, you've got Callum Hudson-Odoi. Woof, the names just keep rolling off the tongue here. But they make good runs. And we know that Hakim Ziyech that does have that eye for a pass. He does have that vision for a pass. And so as long as he keeps doing that, this can really grow into, if we're doing it without strikers, what is it going to look like when we have our strikers back? Like, I, I can't even wait for, for Lukaku or Timo to come back. Not that we need them, but it's, right. it would be good to have them back. And um, one person we need to talk about here is hudson Adoy and mm-hmm. um so you were talking about Ziyech taking his chances, taking his opportunity, coming in and making an impression. Hudson-Odoi has done that now for a few weeks, for maybe a month even or more. And you're seeing that he's getting the game time. Tuchel's trusting him in that front three kind of position. 
And it's not just about what he doesn't attack, but he also helps out on the defensive side of things. Yeah. And and that's what you wanted to see. That's what we want for Hudson Adoy is to be a key player in this squad. And he's looked around and said, okay, we have some injuries and this is my time to shine. And and he's taking it by by the throat. You know, what's interesting about Callum from what I've seen over several years, specifically starting with Undersari when he really started to come through at Chelsea was he was always an explosive talent. He always could take on players, but it was always that final product that was a little bit frustrating, dare I say, was I need to do one more step over. I need to do a trick or I need to uh, jet past three or four players just because he was young, inexperienced, but excited. Maybe that's the right word, just excited to play. And so trying to harness his energy to get that final product was very, very difficult for many managers. Trust me, I loved watching him anyway because he was always exciting, but you want that final ball to be good. And that's what I'm seeing now in this last month or so is he's making better decisions rather than taking on 10 players. He looks right, looks left and says, there's an easy ball here. It will get us forward as a team rather than dribbling to the byline when there's no other playman. He'll look around and say, hold on to the ball, let the team catch up and then I'll find a pass. If he loses the ball, he runs back as quickly as he can to try and get a good tackle in or, or help defend. And, those are the things that take you from being on the fringes of starting to boss. I'm making a really, really strong claim to start week in, week out. And, and like you said, currently, even with all our players fit, I think he needs to continue starting these games. I agree with you. And I, I was just looking at his last four games, including the Leicester. So he featured against North 70 minutes. It was his first start, I guess, um, in this injury prone period for, for the rest of the guys, Newcastle away, 88 minutes, Burnley at home, 85 minutes. And then now Leicester away from home, 90 minutes. So you can see he's consistently been increasing his game time. And, and that's not only down to him, but Tuchel seeing it and saying, kid deserves to be playing. And, and that's what we want from, from the manager and the coaching squad to say, okay, this guy is, is injured and this one's out of form, but we have Hudson Adoy who is in form and, and let's play him. So let's move on to somebody who's not in form, at least in my opinion, and that's Mason Mount, maybe. You know, he was a name that we dropped last season for Man of the Match, I want to say 50% of the time. And I'm trying not to exaggerate. It might have been more, actually, because consistently on the score sheet, providing an assist, putting in a key tackle, a key pass, key pass in the Champions League final. And you look at him this season. Yes, he's had a couple of injury issues. Yes, he went out for tooth surgery. He's been in and out of squad, not necessarily Tuchel's main starter. Uh, and that stuff's bound to happen. But when he does play, he's kind of missing or we're feeling we're like we're missing, at least in my opinion, the, the Mason Mount that I knew last season. I'm, I agree with you. And I think that comes down to just how much he played last season, how influential he was week in, week out. And then he went away and played for England. He's come back and, and featured pretty much most of the games that we've played. Again, I'm looking at the last few games, and, and yes, the tooth issue has kept him out. Um, he scored a brilliant hat-trick against Norwich, and then that could have been a platform to build on and go on, but uh, only got 23 minutes against Southampton in the uh, EFL Cup, then had his tooth issue five, min five minutes against Burnley, 62 minutes here. So it's almost been a combination of tooth issue over being overplayed a little bit towards the end of last season with England, not enough rest in the summer coming back now. And after everything that's happened last season, your expectation almost goes from 
Yeah. Mount's a good young player to this is a guy that we, we rely on week in and week out. And, and when that doesn't happen, you almost have this conversation where it's like, right. what's going on? He's out of form. He was the guy last season. We're not seeing him this season. And he will come good. I think he just needs to get back into the swing of things. 62 minutes against Leicester is, is not a bad way to get match fitness, especially when your team wins. No one's really like, well, if Mount had done more, Chelsea could have won. No, Mount didn't do what he had to do, but Chelsea still won, and he gets his time to build that fitness. Come in a couple of weeks, he could be coming back into form, and we could be here talking about Mount for man of the match. You know, that's very well argued, I would say. Not argued, but that's the term I'm going to stick with because Mason Mount is one of those players that it's tough to criticize him, I guess, is the way to come down upon this. But at the same time, I want to be fair because we've criticized Callum before for, I mean, Tuchel's even taken him off with uh, coming off at a sub and then taking him off again. So we, we need to be fair and criticize people when it's due with criticism, quote unquote, is what I want to say. But when you're not informed, maybe you need to take a back seat and allow, you know, the likes of Havertz, Pulisic, who played well coming on. Those are the guys pushing for those positions. Now with Lukaku and Timo Werner back in the in the fray, you may see Mason take a, a back seat for a little bit while the other guys that inform come back into the squad. So good analysis there. Good conversation. Let's talk about some defenders for a few minutes here. Uh, Tony Rudiger scores that goal. One of our best players of the season so far, if not our best player. Uh, I, I don't want to start saying that just yet, but it could be. Um, hasn't signed a contract. January's around the corner. Free to sign a pre-contract agreement with any team on earth. Do you give him a contract? Do you keep him? What do you do? I, I give him a contract. Yes. Now, I don't know the details of what the, the, the contract is being discussed between Chelsea and him. But from what we hear and what we read online, and, and I take that with a pinch of salt because you don't know if it's 100% true, even if it's it's Fabrizio, who's great at what he does. Um, sometimes the details that come out may be inflated. Some, some may be sure. just stories to force the club into doing something. Uh, but if you hear 400,000 pounds a week, and, and you and I have spoken about this a few weeks ago, that's just an awful lot of money to to give any player. I mean, yes, I know Messi and Ronaldo earn it, and then Lukaku is pretty close to it in our squad. But if if Rudiger is earning 400,000 pounds a week, where does it, from that point on, others are going to say, well boss Lukaku comes in and says boss I'm scoring 20 goals a season I think I need to be earning 500,000 pounds a week and when I say boss I don't mean Tuchel because he's not the one negotiating this they go to Marina their agents get involved and it's just as a club you're like you're almost tying yourself into a situation where a a year ago Rudiger wasn't favored at all by by Lampard and we say what you want about how things are going now we do know when things go south Chelsea have the tendency to say we're going to bring in a new manager and it's not a matter of if it's usually when and so when that happens and I hope it doesn't I don't want any of our listeners to think I'm advocating for Tuchel to be fired because I'm not (laughs) I'm just going based off of what's happened in history if a new manager when a new manager comes in and he says "I I don't really fancy Rudiger yes he's been good for the last 18 months but uh I want to take this team in a different direction. Now you have a player on 400,000 pounds a week that we probably can't move on because he says, what am I going to go do at, let's say Arsenal, for example, and they're only going to pay me 200,000 or 100,000. That's where the club's trying to be smart about these decisions and say, 
okay, Rudiger, if that's what you want and you find a Bayern Munich willing to pay you this, maybe we'll we'll take our chances and go for a new player. It's a tough conundrum that Chelsea and Rudiger are in because I think everything you said makes a lot of sense. But if you look at history and you look at Chelsea and other clubs around the world, typically forwards tend to get higher contracts than defenders because they look at it and say, it's tougher to get somebody of that quality of a Ronaldo or a Messi or even a Lukaku that's going to get you that 20, 25 goals because you can keep clean sheets all season long. And if you don't score goals, you may not win something, but people argue the same thing, right? Rahul, you can, you can score a hundred goals, but concede a hundred goals in the back and not win anything. So it's right. a fine line where typically fours have always been gifted higher wages, at least from what we understand, we don't have numbers in front of us to back up this analysis, but you then look at it and say, this is just an example, but if we don't have a Lukaku in the team, we really don't have anybody else of that style, of that focal point, of that goal-scoring aerial presence I'll use to help Chelsea. But if you look back at the centre-back position, and again, I'm saying this with the utmost respect for Riga, because what he's done in the last 18 months has been incredible, but you look at Chaloba and you go, ooh, that's pretty good you look at Christensen you go whoa when did Maldini sign for Chelsea and you're like oh that's pretty awesome and then you look at Malang Sar who we signed for nothing and you go well kids looks like he can kick a ball and he's doing very well well conned upon and then you look at Thiago Silva who we'll get to in a minute 37 who looks like he's 27 and re ready to go for another decade not to mention we've got buyback clauses for like Mark Guihi and I think the guy out of Southampton as well and you start and Aspilicueta can play center back as well in a three and so you go well if we lose Rudiger, yes, it's it's a good player gone, but we've got a lot of talent coming through that could slot in there. I'm not saying he's replaceable with a snap of a finger, but it's one of those things where you start to debate and say somebody else will fill in and Chelsea will move on. Yeah, I mean, it, if this was last year and we were having this conversation, we would have said absolutely not. No, no new contract. Lampard doesn't trust him. We, if, if the manager doesn't back him, we don't back him. In a year, we've seen what a difference it can make. Tucho comes in. His system really is... I'm not taking anything away from any of our defenders, Correct. goalkeeper, yeah. players, any position at all. But the system that Tucho plays favors a lot of the results that we get in terms of clean sheets, in terms of chances conceded, in terms of goals conceded. And we've seen we go away to Brentford, who were flying at... at earlier this season, and we play Malang Sar, Andres Christensen, and Trevor Chaloba, like you were mentioning with, with, with Sar and Chaloba, and we keep a clean sheet. Yes, it took a great effort from Mendy to keep that clean sheet, but we were able to do it. Now, I'm not again, I'm not advocating for Rudiger to move on and, and not be part of this team, but I'm just saying the money that's been spoken about is a lot of money, and I don't see any player should be ever earning that much. <laughs> but I know football works differently. And, and if Chelsea decide to give him that and, and, and keep him, I'll be happy. But if they don't, good luck to him. We're here for Chelsea. We'll find someone that can do the job and, and we'll move on. I'll say one more thing, because I don't want to get hung up too much on the Rudiger situation, but it's more about Tuchel and how he manages. You talk about Mauricio Sarri. You talk about Frank Lampard, you talk about Antonio Conte, and 
they seem to have a style of football. Um, I'll pick on Sarri for a minute. I'm going to play 4-3-3. I don't care who you are, what your strengths are, how you play. In fact, Sarri has been quoted many times, even on press conferences, when he says, the players need to understand my formation, they need to understand my tactics, and they need to work hard on training to figure it out. But then you look at a Tuchel and he goes, these are the players I'm given. Here are their strengths. Here is the formation that will work for them. And then from there, we will build upon everything to become a strong team. And so back to Rudiger, if he leaves, I think Tuchel will take a step back and say, here are the players I'm given. Here are their strengths. And so if I can't play three because Rudiger was a key element of that, watch me shift this to a back four or, or stick with the three in place. Slightly. It doesn't matter, right? That's where he comes in. That's where he becomes important. So that's really what I want to wrap up on the Rudiger thing. It, it's an interesting thing. Maybe we'll put a poll up on, on Instagram, Rahul, and figure out how the fans feel, how the listeners feel. But another center back we want to talk about, Thiago Silva, 37, said he's 27, at least from my eyes, uh, looking like he's going to get one more year. You happy about this? Upset about this? Want to see Malansar more in the center? <laughs> What's your thoughts? I'm happy about it. I think when he came in last season, there was a little bit of concern in that we were wondering was 35 I think he was maybe 36 coming in and we said well it's the Premier League and how's he gonna cope and and the first game he played against West Brom he had that mistake but since then whether on the Frank Lampard or, or Thomas Tuchel Thiago Silva showed that age is just a number <laughs> and he can do the job no matter what system he plays in no matter where in that back three or back two he plays in uh he may have lost some pace, but he makes that up with the intelligence that he has, that he doesn't allow the likes of Vardy to run in behind him. And that's that's the beauty of that man is that he knows that defending is obviously done with his body and his feet, but also with his mind. And up here, he's 27 or maybe even 17, like you said. Yeah. And that just that just conveys throughout his body, and that's the performances we see is is a thirty seven year old playing like he's in his prime of maybe ten years ago. Yeah, I'll echo what you said. Even if he plays less and less over the the rest of this year and next year, what he brings in terms of leadership, what he brings in terms of experience, you, you almost wonder. Even if he gets a year more, and then after that, if Tuchel's around, and I hope he is, I, I, you've made me concerned now a little bit, but <laughs> hopefully, ho- hopefully he's around and he he looks at Thiago and says, you're, li- you're liking life in London, you're enjoying your football here in the Premier League, you're getting to 39 now, you, maybe you want to retire, maybe you join my backroom staff as a right. defensive coach, and you kind of springboard off of there. So that, that would be something really amazing to, to see happen. We've seen that with John Terry at Aston Villa, of course, Frank with us, Steven Gerrard. And some of these players really bring some new and fresh ideas. And and sometimes, Rahul, at least from my perspective, if a coach is telling you what to do, you don't necessarily understand it till a a footballer explains it in terms of, I was there last week, this is what he's asking you to do and how it should look on the field. Yeah, in all of that, I didn't, all I heard was your concern about my tutorial comments. (laughs) Um, And I want to make it clear that I didn't intend to say we're going to fire Tuchel because right now we're in a great position. We want him to stay. We want him to win the premier league, another champions league, everything that we need to win. This man will win it for us. All I was saying was they suffered to Chelsea history. And what we've seen over the last 20 years, 
when things go south, we do tend to make a, a, a quick decision and sometimes it's not the best decision. But I, after this episode, I will go say a prayer and say, don't <laughs> not get Tucho fired anytime soon because I love that man. <laughs> Let him build a legacy. Yes. And, and before we move on, I do want to give a shout out to our friend James from Chelsea FC Look Back uh, on Instagram and on YouTube. He was at the game uh, on Saturday and got some excellent footage of the fans uh, singing, chanting for Tuchel, for the players. Uh, and he shared that on his Instagram page. So definitely do check it out. Once again, it's Chelsea FC Look Back. All right, my friend, let's move on to some other games that are happening in and around us, and they're important for us to talk about. Let's start with Norwich versus Southampton. Tell us why you want to talk about this game. Uh, Simply down to Dean Smith's first game as Norwich City manager, and he picks up, I guess, where Daniel Farker left off, where Norwich City had won, and they continue and win the second game on the bounce. Yeah, and it's cool because I think Billy Gilmore comes back into the squad. And so you you see an opportunity for another Chelsea player to really get out there and spread his legs and show what he can do. So exciting. And it's kind of interesting because in the last game I go, does Norwich want a manager that was just fired by another team? But so far, so good. Seems to be working out. And on the other end, Southampton again with this ups and downs. But not much to be said about them. we got to wait and see how that plays out. But let me save this one for just a second. We'll talk about <laughs> Wolves versus West Ham. And I want to talk about them because West Ham have been a team on fire. Uh, but Wolves seem to have figured out how to get, get a result here. They do. And they started the season off pretty bad. And now here, look mm-hmm. at it. They're sitting in sixth. Wolves are. And um, as well, I guess from our perspective, it was good to see West Ham lose after beating Liverpool yeah. last, last two weeks ago. Um, but that's credit all goes to Wolves in terms of doing what they had to do, coming back, believing in each other, believing what the manager is doing on the training pitch. Um, and for West Ham, it's one of those results where they they probably would have scored in another day. They don't, but they'll they'll look ahead and say, well, we're still up in the top four. We got Europa League games coming. We've got Chelsea coming soon. So it's not doom and gloom for them. It's just a blip along the way. Yeah, and, you know, Wolves is one of those teams where I had picked the manager to be fired very early on in the season, but he seems to have kind of got the, the car under control. And Raul Jimenez, man, this guy is another machine. When he's getting back into form, it just gets scary because last year before his injury and the year before that, he was incredible. And now he's kind of looking like he's coming back. I think it's his third or fourth goal so far this season. So good to see his recovery and good to see him back on the right track. Uh, let's jump into Liverpool versus Arsenal. And this was the late kickoff for Saturday. Um, good game. I mean, the game ended up being 4-0. But the reason I say good game, Raul, there were there were patches in between where you could see what Arteta was trying to do. I, I know he takes a lot of criticism. I know you've said a lot of criticism towards him. I know Alex has said Arsenal get relegated. But I watched the game very intently. And, and you can see that they do have pockets of good football. They do have an idea of what they want to do. I think this just shows the gulf in class of these individual players. And, and yes, Arsenal have Emil Smith-Rowe and Saka and uh, Tavares and these young guys that will come good eventually. But some of these guys for Liverpool, my goodness, they just decided to turn on the flare and just steamroll them to death with the 4 nail here. Yeah, I, I personally didn't watch this game, but you look at it and, and Arsenal did pretty well to keep it nil-nil for, I think, maybe... Yeah. 
30 minutes, 40 minutes. And, and that's credit to them because in the past they've gone to Anfield and just been blown apart. Yes, that happened eventually, but um, Arsenal are showing that they've come a long way since the start of this season. Obviously Liverpool was their first big test since the Man City game at the end of August. Mm-hmm. Um, and in that meantime, they've beaten teams, they've gotten results and, and got a given Arteta time to build something like you were saying with their, with their play, but there's still a difference between Liverpool and Arsenal right now. And that's something that they've got to bridge over the next few months and seasons. And uh, there's a player you picked for flop of the season, even before he kicked the ball. And that was Aaron Ramsdale. Did I? Um, yeah. <laughs> and if he was not, if he was not in this game, I kid you not, this could have been a 10 nil uh, defeat to Arsenal. So just something to start thinking about there with Aaron Ramsdale becoming Arsenal's number one, but Let's jump into another game. I know you want to try and protect your, your status here. Not... <laughs> but uh, Aston Villa versus Brighton. Well, Brighton were flying high. Aston Villa beat them 2-0. Gerard's first game in, in charge, huh? Yeah, he's he's made his debut as manager in the Premier League with the win. And um, you saw what it meant to him with the celebrations and, and the, the pumping at the air and getting all cheered up, which um, it's good for him and good for Villa because they, they needed to end that bad run of five games that got Dean Smith fired, and now they start off with the win under Gerrard. Yep, and that lovely goal from Ollie Watkins, if you didn't see that towards the 80th minute or what, I can't remember, but he kind of saved the day on, on that situation, so good for him. I'm going to jump into Sunday for a minute, Rahul, and we'll come back into Saturday because we have a few minutes to spend on Saturday. Sunday, Spurs versus Leeds, that was today when we are recording. Uh, 2-1 for Spurs, goals coming from? Uh, Hoiberg and Sergio Reguillon. And for Leeds, it was Dan James. So good result for Antonio Conte. First win at home, if I'm not mistaken. Absolutely. A a win that at halftime, they were losing 1-0. So whatever he did at at halftime got them fired up and back into the game. Uh, And it's something that, you know, it's not going to be easy for him to get them just winning week after week. But the first win obviously helps. And now they, they have something to build on. Absolutely. So that's good news for them. Let's jump back into Saturday, Rahul. And this is the game I was preserving for the end. Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was at the wheel. And I use the word was because he's no longer at the wheel. Uh, Manchester United have gone ahead and released him from his contract. I say that ever so politely, uh, but it was an abysmal performance with a 4-1 defeat with Watford really having control of this game. Harry Maguire getting sent off. It was went from bad to worse. All sorts of things that could go wrong did go wrong. Again, I, I missed this game, but I was watching or at least watching the notifications come in and I see Watford score first and you're thinking, okay, United away from home typically tend to come back in the second half and then it's 2-0 right before halftime and you're thinking, I, I don't know about this game. And then United score and you're thinking, okay, now they're going to come back. But like you mentioned, Harry Maguire gets a red card, which basically sealed the game for them and then they concede right at the end with two goals and it's not really a 4-1 game but you got to give credit to Watford before we get into the United part of it and give credit to Watford Granieri coming in and doing the business Um, and you look at the other side and you're thinking what is going on because they had City before the international break they lost that and you're saying okay now we've got two weeks time to work on something different, put in different tactics, maybe work out a plan that prevents goals being conceded at the rate that they have been five against Liverpool, two against City, now four against Watford. 
And it really was only a matter of time before Ole was was let go because someone had to take the blame. Something had to change. And the way things were going, nothing was changing. And, and Ole eventually is the one that goes. And now it's a new start, new era for Manchester United. But you're looking at it and you're saying Michael Carrick comes in, I guess, for for the next couple of games, the, the, one of them being against us. And uh, where do United go from here? Because they've now brought in Moyes after Sir Alex. They fired him. They brought in Van Gaal. They fired him. They brought in Jose Mourinho, who won them a few trophies. They fired him. Ole comes in, does pretty well for about two and a half, maybe three seasons. And now he goes, and that's four managers in the past, I believe, eight years. And it looks like United are nowhere close to being the force that they were. You know, it's, it was interesting as you look at their recruitment and their recruitment on a player level, it's not, it's not bad. I mean, everybody can see where they've kind of had issues and, and Man United as a club can see that. And they recruited very heavily defensively, uh, bought basically a whole new back four at this point. If you, you look at them from when Alex retired to now, and then you start saying, okay, they're missing some firepower up front when Wayne Rooney left the club. And then you see Ronaldo's back in. They went ahead and got a uh, Martial, who didn't really work out. But you've got Rashford coming through excellently. And then Cavani, Cavani and Ronaldo, yeah. of course, which is which is amazing. And then you say, okay, we're missing some midfielders. And so Jadon Sancho comes after a two-year pursuit. So on a recruitment standpoint, it sounds excellent. They're doing what they need to. They're spending the money when they need to. Uh, they could do with a few key more players, maybe defensive midfielder or, or something like that. But... You then wonder and you look at what Chelsea do, which you've already covered and have already given me nightmares about Tuchel. <laughs> but when when things are not going right, it, it, it's really a very quick, swift decision. And for Man United, for the last three years, yes, Ole has done okay overall. Yes, they've gone to Champions League. But it's always been a yo-yo kind of situation where when things are not going right, they almost let him hang at the bottom for a very, very, very long time. And then he comes back up and then they say, everything's good. And he comes back and hangs there versus you've reached rock bottom. Let's snip this very quickly and bring somebody. And it's almost like, I think in my opinion, they, they knew they were going to replace him at some point, but they waited a little bit too long to make that decision. They were toying with the idea of Antonio Conte. Now he's gone to Spurs and you start to look around and say, if you had made this decision five, six, seven weeks ago, what would have this looked like with Antonio Conte running this squad that we just covered of a whole brand new back defensive line, Ronaldo, Cavani, I mean, Rashford, the names go on and on. And you Bruno. wonder, could he have had, the Bruno, I'm not even talking about yeah. Bruno, but could they have been this amazing with him here? Uh, and it almost comes down to, yes, you wanted to replace Ole, but have you made it at the wrong time? Now, yes, you wanted to move because situation has been really, really poor. But who'd you go out and bring at this point? There is no one. I mean, I mean, there are managers in the world, don't get me wrong, but there's no one that gets you to say, whoa, Manchester United mean business here. And and not that you and I are United fans and, and not that we've felt the pain that they felt in the last eight years, but just watching from the outside, you're thinking there's always going to be a transition period after Sir Alex, right? right. But that transition period is now turning into just some kind of normal occurrence at United where it's a manager comes in two, three years, goes, manager comes in two, three years, goes. And yes, that works for our club where someone new comes in, wins a couple of trophies and leaves. With United, it's like 
there are no trophies. There are good moments where we say, oh, they, they won out and won in Paris and made a comeback and they made it to the Europa League final, but they didn't win. And you're almost looking around and saying, what manager comes in now and, and takes them a step further? And even before that, I, I'm looking at it and I see 20 shots conceded against Watford. And you're thinking, with everybody that you've mentioned in the back four, with David De Gea being still a very good goalkeeper, the issue is really they're just conceding way too many goals right now. Yeah. You've got to stop the bleeding there and then fix everything else that needs to be fixed. And, and then you look at the board and you look at Ed Woodward, and yes, he's leaving soon. But was he the right decision to, to bring him in whenever they brought him in? I think it was eight years ago after Sir Alex and, and David Gill, I believe, left. And it almost goes back to... 2013 where they made all these decisions and it didn't work out they fired Moyes you look at Moyes now and he's a completely different manager sitting way ahead of United and I, I honestly I, I don't know where they go from here I know like I mentioned Michael Carrick I think at least for the next few games comes in and then they're saying they're going to bring him bring in an interim manager for the till the end of the season which is what Ole was supposed to be um, so are they going to fall into the same trap this time around where right. a, a guy comes in and maybe performs or over exceeds performances and they say, here you go, here's a two-year contract and we want you to be manager. So it's a mess and I think they need a, a reset and maybe maybe it, the reset comes this season for the rest of the season. They kind of make it maybe to the top four and, and then in the summer they say, we're going to just have to get a new manager, get a director of football fix some of the major issues that are there before we we talk about winning titles yeah tough times indeed at manchester united i know that they're linked with a whole host of names of managers but of course a lot of them going into you know the crunch time in the season with their clubs and so it's going to be hard to find somebody to to do the business now but look uh, like you said we're chelsea fans we've but we are also respectful to man united because we've played against them they've been our huge rival for decades and now you, you you find a little bit disappointing just like we said with arsenal earlier in the season but hopefully they can figure things out hopefully they can turn things around not enough uh, at least before our next game with them and they can continue to lose there and after that we can figure out what they need to do but uh, that really wraps up the premier league you know games for the weekend rahul let me look at the table really quickly and talk about where where it is and i know you'll get excited by this one because chelsea sitting at the top of the table with 29 points second place with manchester city in 26 points Liverpool in third with 25, and then West Ham in fourth with 23 points. And even though Arsenal take that loss, they're actually sitting in fifth with 20 points. So good job on them there. Uh, we go to the bottom of the table. This is very, very interesting. For weeks after weeks after weeks, Norwich were at the bottom, but they are no longer at the bottom. Newcastle United fall to the bottom with that draw. Uh, they are sitting in 20th with six points. Norwich in 19th with eighth, and Burnley in 18th with nine points. So... The table is kind of stable at this point. A couple of movements up there and here, but nothing too wild to report on. Should we jump into Champions League maybe? Yes, sir. Let's do it. Champions League is back. Back at the verge, in fact. And and it's a big game because it's Juventus coming to visit. (laughs) Big game indeed. And the last game we played against them didn't go so well, did it? It didn't. We lost 1-0 away from home, which which basically means that if we want to finished top of the table we've got to beat them at home uh, and score 
at least a couple of goals without a response from Juventus, and and that would help us reclaim that top spot. Um, but anything else would mean, even if we win and we concede maybe two goals, we win a 3-2, that puts Juventus in the driving seat because it's just a head-to-head that, that UA, UEFA uses to um, determine a tie between two sides. Um, so it's a tough game. I mean, for both sides, a result, a draw really helps them qualify because the other two teams in the group are too far off. Uh, but for us, I think it's an opportunity to say, we messed up in that first game. We really were in control. We conceded early in that second half. So it's an opportunity for us to bounce back and say, we are the holders. We are the the champions of Europe. And we got to show Juventus why that is the case. I hope that's what happens. I hope that we <laughs> can show them that we're champions of Europe. I know we have a good team. We've already discussed that. But let's jump into the predicted 11, my friend. Yeah, so I mean, it's pretty straightforward in goalkeeping. It's Mendy in goal. Uh, I think Espilicueta comes back in for this game. Tiago should continue. Tiago Silva, I mean. Uh, Rudiger, again, he's, he's fit and ready. He plays. Reese James plays. Conte uh, plays as well. Jorginho, I think you mentioned an injury in that Leicester game, but I think Tuchel said it was more precautionary. Um, so he can play, but if if he's not ready, Loftus-Cheek is a great <laughs> great person to fill in and then I think Joel continues um, I would love to see a front three or at least a, a two behind the striker of Hudson Adoy and Pulisic and I know we spoke about it and teased it in our last predicted lineup for Leicester but with Pulisic now getting a goal Hudson Adoy already being, being in form I would be very excited to see those two take on the Juventus defense and and I don't think Lukaku or Timo will be fit just yet to at least start, so Kai Havertz would continue. That front two you're teasing again with Pulisic and Callum Hudson-Doy is very, very tasty, full of energy, full of pace, full of trickery, and maybe that might do the trick in unlocking this Juventus, who are typically a very good defense anyway. So uh, speaking of this team, how many goals do they get? Do they score? What's the scoreline for Chelsea versus Juventus? It's, I mean, it's going to be a tough game because Juventus, who was I talking to? I forget. I was talking to a Juventus fan and I forget who it was, but he was saying in Serie A, they've been pretty bad. They're sitting, I think, in eighth, which for a team that has won Serie A for like years or after after years, um, that's pretty shocking. But he was saying in, in the Champions League, they're a whole different opposition <laughs> because they just turn it on. And that's what we've got to be, to be wary of. But I think we should have enough, even with our old boy Morata coming back to town. Um, I think we should have enough, and I think we should win this 2-0, which would help us go back on top. That's a pretty good prediction. I hope that is exactly what happened, but I've noticed that when I predict 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, we end up drawing or going to a 1-0 win and barely scraping by. So I'm going to keep it conservative again, <laughs> just like I did against Leicester. I'm going for a nail-nail, and hopefully Chelsea surprised me and Come up with your 2-0 results here. My my attacking lineup should have enough in there to, to get this done. So um, we'll keep it out for the games on Tuesday. So we will be watching. Um, and as you may know, Jackie teased it at the beginning of this episode. It is Thanksgiving week here in the U.S. So it's a short work week, but um, we'll, we'll definitely find a way to watch this game. At least one of us will and keep you guys updated on Instagram. 
Um, but before we wrap this up, we did this last year, Jackie, where we each said what we were thankful for um, in this season, this season of being thankful. Um, so I will start you off and I'll give myself and then we can wrap it up. Uh, you know, the traditional things that I'm always thankful for is uh, good health, happy with the family life. That's always great. And then you always come back to our podcast and I'm thankful for continuing to do this with you. It's been a year. We've turned a year now. And so I'm thankful we've made it a year. And people that continue to listen, I'm very thankful for all of you guys. That's amazing to see. Uh, one thing I'm also thankful for is Thomas Tuchel. And I hope he stays, even though you've given me a panic attack for this particular episode. But he's done a great job for us. And I'm thankful to continue to do this with you going forward. You almost made me tear up until you reminded <laughs> me of my tutorial comments. <laughs> um, but no, that that I, I I echo everything you said, and it's been it's been a good year. It's been um, a lot of memories made in terms of Chelsea with the Champions League, with the Super Cup, with the Premier League this season. Uh, well, personally, on the podcast level, we've we've had some good guests. We've brought Alex on, uh, who we miss dearly. So hopefully, he'll be joining us soon and. Um, I'm just thankful for being able to do this and, and make some new friends and relationships on, on through this, in fact. So um, just want to say thank you to everyone. And uh, we'll be actually be doing another episode, I think, right before Thanksgiving. But yeah. um, we'll maybe be celebrating that with the win against Juventus. So um, that wraps it up, guys. Thank you very much for listening. Please continue to subscribe, like, and follow us. It's at the Premier Chills on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's at Premier Chills. And as always, send us your feedback. But we will be back later to do a Juventus review and a Manchester United preview. So uh, stay safe and up the Chills.